0: Jennifer McCollum, welcome to the conversation today.
1: It's so great to be here with you, too. Thank you for having me.
0: It is a pleasure to be with you. Where are you joining us from?
1: The Washington, D.C. area. That's where I have made my home for nearly 20 years.
0: Well, great. Uh, Angela Schill and I, we're both here in Orem, Utah. And uh, today we're going to be talking with Jennifer uh, about the benefits of women-led companies and women leaders and some of the positive outcomes that come from Uh, really embracing that, and how to overcome some of the systemic challenges that sometimes face uh, women in the workplace. I'm going to start by just sharing Jennifer's uh, bio with everybody. Jennifer McCollum is on a mission to create better leaders and workplaces by advancing women and promoting inclusivity. She's an accomplished CEO, speaker, and consultant, and the author of the new book, In Her Own Voice, A Woman's Rise to CEO. This book uses data and personal stories to shed light on the unique challenges women face on their journeys to leadership, providing actionable insights, for aspiring leaders and organizations. She has presented on hundreds of stages, podcasts, and webcasts across the globe, and featured in the Wall Street Journal, Fast Company, Forbes, and Psychology Today. And that's just a snippet. I could go on and on about uh, Jennifer's tremendous background. But Jennifer, I'll pause there. Anything you would like to highlight by by way of your own background before we dive on into the broader conversation?
1: Well, only that as as a woman leader, you know, I have gone through multiple decades of seeing the progress that we've made. I I started my career in the the nineties, and it was really difficult to be a woman in leadership then. Uh, Into the two thousands, now up into the twenty twenties, things have gotten a lot better. I think the challenges are just changing. They're less overt in terms of discrimination or harassment, and they're more nuanced. And so. Linkage, the the company where I have been CEO for the last five, six years, is on a mission to change the face of leadership. So I have been privileged to be both a a, a woman, a leader, an executive in an organization dedicated to advancing women and other underrepresented populations.
2: I have so many questions for you. I think I'm I'm curious, though, we've heard your bio, but Can you tell us more about your background and what led you to where you are today so that we can kind of get a a context for what you're doing now? I would love to. And and I will say when I was in college, I was pretty clear
1: that I wanted to be a broadcast journalist. My dream job was to be on the Today Show as the co-host. I then pivoted uh, through graduate school and into the early years of my career in public affairs and communication, so that public and media relations, just the other side of the news media, the the group that is influencing the news media. And what I realized through the first eight or 10 years of my career was that you know while I was really good at my job, it was always about kind of propping someone else up to Mm. say the right thing, to do the right thing, and I was always in the background, and I found myself realizing that my passion and my purpose weren't necessarily aligned to the work I was doing in the world mm-hmm. i became really interested in team effectiveness and individual leadership effectiveness and organizational development and and while i was at the coca-cola company they helped me pivot my career into what i've been really doing with increasing levels of responsibility for the last 25 years and that is helping leaders teams and organizations become more effective to fulfill their potential. And so I did that through a series of entrepreneurial opportunities. I had my own consulting firm for eight years. Coca-Cola was my first client. And then I moved into about 15 years of leading and managing and running businesses in the leadership space at professional services companies like CEB, which was bought by Gartner and um, Corn Ferry, and then most recently at Linkage.
2: Wow. That is... Amazing. And and I'm sure that you've had, I I can just imagine the experiences that you've had from the 90s walking through this process and that you've collected so much data, which I imagine is in your book. Well,
1: there is a lot. What I love about the book, Angela, is that it is grounded in a lot of research and data both Mm -hmm. linkages data, we have been gathering perception data of women around their organizations for more than a decade. We have nearly 20,000 women in our database. But we also are tracking individual capability of women as perceived by themselves, their managers, their peers, so 360 data. And we look at both of those data sets, and we can really surface some of the trends that, frankly, have been pretty shocking. And we'll, we'll talk some more about those. But we're also tracking external data, what's happening in the in the world related to pay equity, as an example, or the statistics of women in leadership uh, ranks all the way up to the CEO. But yeah, things have changed a lot. And I do write in the book about the experience of being a woman and a leader through all of the decades of my own career, but we also tell the stories of other women who have risen to the C-suite because I think it's important to learn not only the data but also the stories of how women have experienced the challenges and how to overcome them. Most
2: importantly, and I think that's where you know maybe all of our interests are. For me, that's the interest of we have this information, and I like you said, it's changed. So I'm curious to know. You said we'll talk more about this, but what are the changes in the in what's going on in mo- both individual elements of leadership for women and systemically as well, and then. Um, how, how to sh- make the shift and the people who are kind of blazing the trail like you, what, what has been helpful and as things have shifted, how, how does that help need to shift? Because- Ooh, that's a big question. Let's see Sorry, if we can, <laughs> let, let,
1: I'm trying, let, let's see if we can break can it down break a little bit. Sure. So, so when we talk about how things have shifted, most often we're talking about external bias And while it is very obvious that it has gotten better, it still exists. So I mentioned pay inequity. There is still it is still very real, um, even for for white women, but even more importantly, for black, Latin, other um, intersections of race and ethnicity. By the time they get kind of 30 years into their career, they will have lost more than a million dollars to men in similar positions. And that's just because our starting salary is lower. So that's an example of external bias. There's other examples like similarity bias. All of us will tend to select and support and promote people who look like us regardless. And because there are more men and more white men in positions of leadership, that is an external bias. So we can talk a lot about that. It has changed over the years because we've got, it's gotten more awareness. We still have a really long way to go. I mean, the World Economic Forum is predicting about one hundred and thirty-six years to reach gender parity. Um, so we can we can break that down. So we'll park that for a moment. Okay. The, the second thing, and, and what I like to focus on, are the second and third things, and we can we can break these down too. And that's seems a lot more actionable and we can't snap our fingers and change external bias, but we can work with our organizations to ensure that they are disrupting the systemic bias in their organizations. And then really importantly, we can work with the women leaders themselves, not to fix the women leaders. Women leaders do not need fixing. They are fantastic leaders. Our leadership databases are full of information about that, that I would love to talk about. I love that women need to understand the unique challenges that they face on their rise to leadership Mm -hmm. and how they can support themselves in overcoming the challenges. So let me pause there. I'll take it
2: either place that you want to go. Okay. Well, I just, just with what you said, I think part of it is just calling it a name, seeing what's going on. I know for me in my world, you know, in my career, but in my world as well, I've gone through life and I can feel the dissonance of something wrong But until I've given it a name, there's nothing else I can do beyond that. And I think sometimes just being able to parse out what's happening. And so what do you think about that in terms of going that direction? So again,
1: I think we can break it up into two sides of what I would say are the same coin. So that that right. feeling that you're you're, you're you're feeling or what you're observing, I mean, it doesn't even have to just be feelings. It's like something right. isn't quite right. So let's take mm-hmm. the organizational piece first, piece first, because we can just not take that off the table. Um, sure. We at Linkage work with organizations all over the world who are aware and committed to advancing their women leaders. Now, why is it hard? Well, we, we really look at four different levers. We look at culture. Do women feel like they belong? Do they feel like they have a voice and that they can contribute? Mm-hmm. We look at talent systems. Are the talent systems equitable? It could be things like your talent acquisition process. You know, do you have gender and race, frankly? Do you have balanced um, a, a, an approach to talent selection? It could be promotion. It could be pay. It could be succession. So all of these talent systems tend to have underlying biases, Mm-hmm. And organizations that are aware of those will work on that. The third piece is is, uh, is probably the hardest one, and that's executive action and commitment. So there, there are organizations full of really well-intentioned leaders. Most, 70 plus percent of our senior leadership in our organizations, at least in this country, it's, it's, it's often worse in other countries, are men, mostly are white men. And I have found that most of them are very well-intentioned. They just don't know how to be part of the solution. So we actually work on, it's not just saying the right things. It's what do you actually have to do behaviorally? What does it look like to be actively sponsoring women, using your power, using your influence, not only to point someone at the door, but to pull them through the door and ensure they're successful. So that's what we call that sponsorship. I was just going to say different from being an ally, right? Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. So we kind of tease apart what's an ally, what's a mentor, what's a coach, mm-hmm. and what's a sponsor. And for executives, we really work on sponsorship. And mm-hmm. then um, finally, the fourth one, which kind of bridges to the next piece is called leadership development. And we really tease this apart too. It's actually not leadership development for leadership development's sake. We actually all need to be more effective leaders across the spectrum of gender. This is leadership development unique to women because we know women face these unique hurdles. And, um, again, that's why I always say it's not about fixing the women. It's about building awareness of this unique hurdles. Now Mm -hmm. development can be formal, you know, formal leadership development and training or coaching. It can be informal things like access to stretch experiences. But when you say something isn't feeling quite right, there's, is it not feeling right in the organization because of the four levers I just mentioned, or is it not feeling right because there's something inside of me that i that that i potentially could change if i better understood what was happening so right. i pause there
2: i both of those i mean for i don't know john if you want to step in here but for me it's both sides of that but i because i think you know we talk about confidence for women you say women leaders don't need to be they're not the ones needing to be fixed it's all these external things and i think also internally we have this issue of confidence or being afraid of being, con- you know, conceived as pushy instead of just getting the job done. So, I mean, I'll let John or you both take over. Or yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, that. all, all really great points. And, and uh, Jennifer, I, I appreciate that those four different aspects you were talking about start to get into those systemic issues um, that also influence all of this, uh, which we can talk to more. Um, I, I wanted to, you know, to touch on the the, the confidence piece and to talk, talk about the sponsorship piece uh, a little bit. Um, you know, I'm aware of an organization just recently, you know, where they were making an, an executive hire, um, a super, super qualified uh, female candidate who was passed over um, and another woman was chosen. So... Um, th- it, it's not like they just completely disregarded the female candidates uh, and the, and the other female candidate chosen as a great person and a great, great hire. Um, but, you know, it very clearly not as experienced, not as senior, not, you know, it, it was a little bit of a, of a head scratcher. Right. And so <clears throat> when, when things like that happen, then all of a sudden, you know, the, the person who is passed over is wondering, well, what's going on there? Uh, there can be a confidence issue, um, uh, some self-doubt going on, um, but there can also be some question around what kind of biases were influencing the decision maker who is hiring for this executive role, um, and, you know, did I come off as too too assertive? Did I come off as too pushy? Did I come off as, you know, all those things that women disproportionately have to deal with in ways that men just don't. Um, And in this particular situation, the the woman that was hired, great person, great hire in a lot of ways, but just a a softer kind of quieter kind of a personality. And we just can't, we look around and we can't help, but wonder, did that have a huge part to play in this? Uh, whereas you know a man who gets hired for that kind of a position the fact that they're you know showing that confidence and that they're being assertive and they're pushing back and all of those things it's seen as an asset not a liability right
1: yeah and, and interestingly you're telling a story that happens to all be two different women so again yeah, we're toggling cool. a lot of things let me let me try and tease them the, the what you're talking about is is very it's called the double bind and it's been very research very well researched that women are expected to fulfill both the stereotypes of a leader, and in our mind Mm -hmm. that stereotype is aggressive, ambitious, uh, competitive, usually a handsome tall white male. That's almost all of us will conjure that up in our mind, regardless Mm -hmm. of gender, race, ethnicity. But women are also expected to fulfill the stereotypes of being a woman, which is that soft, kind, collaborative, you know, team player. And Mm so with women, we're expected to, you know, we we can be one or the other, but we're never seen as both. Mm -hmm. So I was, I tell a story in the book about how I was called early in my career, a cupcake with a razor blade inside.
2: And the reason I was
1: called that <laughs> was there's a great story. You'll have to read it in the book. And it was on the Olympic torch relay. I was a Coca-Cola manager, mid-level manager. And I was so proud of this job, but I had to, you know, I had to be a team player and a, you know, a collaborator, but I also had to be fierce and competitive because we had to win the day against the Olympic organizing committee. There was always this tension. And, and my boss thought it was hilarious. A A, a British white man thought it was hilarious. I was called a cupcake with a razor blade. And I didn't really understand it at the time. I was kind of devastated, but I wasn't really sure why. Was it a compliment? Was it not a compliment? Looking back, you know, 27 years later, it is such a perfect example of a double bind. I mean, would a man ever be called a cupcake with a razor blade inside? But here I am speaking around the world now and women come up to me in droves at the end of any given keynote. And they'll say, I was just called last week. She's like a Bulldog with a bone. I was called a, a bulldozer in a field of daisies. I was called a dog with a skirt. It, you know, it's all of these. Yeah. I my voice was like a nails on a chalkboard, and a razor. And you do hear these things, and you're like, my God, were are men ever called these things? So mm-hmm. that's the double bind. And again, I would call that an external bias that we all of us need to become a lot more aware. Yes, sometimes mm-hmm. I'm a cupcake, and sometimes on a razor blade but I can hold both of those things. And why does it have to be one or the other? I think all men and women should be able to hold both of those things. Mm-hmm. So then you mentioned confidence and you mentioned, well, a woman kind of asking herself, well, what's wrong with me that I didn't get the job. So you're now toggling between two hurdles. The, uh, the first one is called the inner critic and that's the foundational hurdle. That's the hurdle, That voice of judgment, that voice of criticism, that mm-hmm. voice that sounds like I'm not worth it. I'm not good enough. I shouldn't ask for that raise promotion um, job. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't speak up in that meeting because nobody will care anyway. That, that kind of voice in our head now, it can equally point at others. You know, Why did he say that? Why didn't she know that? But for the purpose of this conversation, when the inner critic, and it's louder for women, um, and it can prevent women from taking action. So, I tell a story in the book about my inner critic, even six years ago, when I was up for the CEO job at linkage, the best job, by the way, I have ever had. I almost didn't put myself in the running. My inner critic was, You're not ready. You haven't you need to be groomed properly and be a number two first.' You don't know the financial statements all the way down to the net income line. You're not going to be a good mother. You got to commute to Boston from DC. Blah blah blah. I mean, it it's took exhausted. two. Yeah, <laughs> and it, and it, and so we talk a lot about the inner critic amplifying all of the other hurdles. So um, I'll talk about confidence next, but I think that inner critic is a really important thing to raise because it can never be silenced, but it can be quieted. And I have gotten a lot better about becoming aware of it, pausing and reflecting about what's happening in the moment. It just happened the other day um, when I was launching a book a couple months ago. My inner critic was, I'm not a real author. This is my first book. What if it sucks? Well, you know, what what kind of person am I to run around promoting a book to asking my friends? You know, that inner critic was was loud because I wasn't confident. It was scary to launch a book for the first time, just like it was scary to be a CEO for the first time. All right. So I'm going to pause there.
0: <laughs> and just in contrast to all of that, I'm just going to, to share my own, like as a mediocre white man <laughs> you know like the the world is handed yeah. to mediocre white men <laughs> uh, but you know i i i think about that i i just don't i don't go about my day thinking that way i just don't right so my whole life experience has led to where i am at right now and maybe i'm narcissistic maybe i'm just overly confident maybe i'm whatever but i don't walk around thinking that way um every day i you know i don't question whether or not I should speak up and push back in a meeting. I do it if, if I feel like it's important. Right. And I don't have to do all that calculus in the back of my head of like, what's this going to do to me? How's this going to impact me in the same way that some of my female colleagues have to, yeah, that's just the reality of it. So I just wanted to articulate that. Like my experience is just so fundamentally different um, day to day. And, and as I go throughout my days, um, than I think a lot of women experience. And that's part of the challenge here is because it takes so much mental bandwidth and energy just to deal with that, right? Yeah.
2: That's astounding to me to hear, to be honest with you, because that I live in that space that we're talking about of learning to quiet that inner critic. And I love this idea of just becoming aware of it. But also I'm becoming aware that, you know, John, as you talk about, I don't know what that would be like to Mm -hmm. to not have that be stopping me, to not have the stop, to not have to stop and do that mental gymnastics. So I mean, maybe that's my goal. <laughs> well, and I think, look, I,
1: women ask me all the time, like, how do I just stop that voice in my head? And and my response is always, look, the, the voice is useful, right? Because it helps you become aware of what's actually happening. It wasn't mm-hmm. that I, I I didn't think I could be a good CEO or I could be an author. It's just that fear was paralyzing me or that self doubt. And I'm John. I'm super happy you said that because white men, and this goes back you know, many millennia haven't had to operate in the world that way. They just had a lot of role models. They were groomed, they were thrown in and supported, um, you know, and and so we have grown up, you know, even us as little girls, like, you know, be, you know, make sure that you're polite, you know, it's better to listen first, you know, and, and men haven't had those same constrictions put on them. Okay. So fast forward to confidence. And, you know, it's interesting, the story I just told about, you know, my inner critic flaring when I was launching the book, and this was only a couple months ago, I had so many people supporting me, you know, way to go, Jennifer, we'll buy your book, we'll write an endorsement, blah, blah, blah. And then I had a one moment where one of our family friends texted my husband and said, your wife is really out of control with her book promotion Imho in my humble opinion. Right. And he was, you know, it, it was the day we were trying to go for the Amazon best new release. It was a really big deal. And yes, I was engaging my network and he was helping me. And I, it just brought me to my knees. I mean, my, mm. my inner critic flared up. Who do I think I am? What am I doing? And my husband didn't get it. You know, he just said, what is the problem? Why do you care so much about what this one person is saying? And he was trying to talk me out of my inner critic and I wasn't ready. Right? Mm-hmm. I needed to pause. I needed to reflect. I needed to find compassion for myself, maybe compassion for the guy that, that did it. Mm-hmm. And then I needed to get curious. You know, is this a story I'm telling myself? Is this true that I'm a that I'm a fake author, that I'm, you know, that my book isn't good? And, and so I had to really reconcile. Now, John's probably like, I've never done any of that but you can't you can't quiet someone's inner critic without their without their support nor can you beat confidence into a woman or imposter syndrome out of a woman mm-hmm. the hurdle we talk about at linkage is called recognized confidence we've really shifted our perspective if you think back you know to the 10 20 years ago when kind of the women in leadership movement started it was really all about two things one was kind of your brand and your presence. How do you show up? And are you assimilating? Are you fitting in? Are you dressing and talking and showing up like the leadership majority? And the second one was fake it till you make it. You've got to be confident. You're going to like get confident eventually. <laughs> we have completely shifted our perspective on both of those things at linkage over the last several years. Um, and the first is around confidence. We call it recognized confidence because we know that women are reticent to shine a light on themselves and Mm self-promote. Every woman I know will defer any type of compliment and talk about the the, the results of the team and what a big joint effort it was. And what it does is it minimizes the individual woman's contribution. So we support women in more effectively self-promoting, like shining a light on themselves appropriately, But we also look to people like John and say, hey, if I'm not able or willing to shine a light on myself, can you help me? And an example of that is an executive team meeting a couple months ago at the company that acquired us. I was a new executive team member um, integrating into the company. And our chief knowledge officer and I were having a great conversation. Uh, The CEO, Johnny, pulled us all back together and and Alex, as his name, kind of blurted out what we had been talking about. Now, you know, it didn't, he was right. We had been talking about that. And Johnny said, Alex, that is such a good idea. I want to hear more. And Alex turned right to me and said, oh, no, no, that wasn't my idea. That was Jennifer's. And I'd like her to talk about it. It was such a beautiful, simple example of allyship, of someone else shining a light on me.
0: It, it, one of one of the things in the, in the prep materials for today, you know, there's this kind of, this interesting irony perhaps of you know sometimes the biggest allies and sponsors for women um are are some of the men around them and oftentimes some of the biggest critics are the women around them Um, and that only increases the the complexity here and the challenge around you know the 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 self-talk and the confidence and the imposter syndrome and all of that um, I hope, you know, on my side, I hope I can be a good ally and a sponsor uh, when opportunity permits. I hope that I will be aware enough to do what your colleague did to point your direction, to give you the credit. Um, how, 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 maybe we can take just a minute and talk about, like, how do you navigate that this this weird situation where where sometimes your biggest critics, those people trying to pull you down, are the very women around you. Um, rather than some of the men who you might expect to be the ones to do that.
1: Yeah. And you know what, you know, 10, 20 years ago, it was was a real fear, right? This scarcity mentality. There's so few women at the top that there's only room for one. And so this competition between women was real. Um, That's no longer the case. And so when I work with women now, especially senior and executive level women, It's, you know, we talk about this mentality of an abundance mindset. You know, now there's the reverse is happening sometimes where even white men feel like, you know, they are being threatened by the rise of women or other underrepresented populations. My perspective is a very abundance mindset perspective. There are more leadership roles to be filled than we have people to fill them. So Mm -hmm. it's in our collective best interest to lift others as we rise because it helps us rise. And I tell stories in the book as well about, What is our responsibility as leaders, especially women leaders, to lift others up? The largest hurdle women face is what we call proving your value. And proving your value is our tendency as women Early in our career, all the way through up to the point to to the senior executive level where you just simply can't do anymore. Our tendency is to put our head down and work harder and harder and say yes to more and more and more. And it could be the first shift at work, the second shift at home, the third shift being what I call the staff care, not the child care. We tend to say yes and volunteer and, and just hope that people will notice how good we are. We deserve the promotion. We deserve the raise we deserve the accolades. And let me tell you, that does not happen. It just doesn't happen very often. It is our job as women to notice when we are over rowing the boat and to know that that will lead straight to burnout. And instead, much earlier in our careers, we need to learn how to say no. No is a complete sentence. I often say that. But we also need to learn how to inspire and delegate and I tell a story about my incredible colleague, Kristen. Kristen was my chief product officer. I've worked with her in multiple jobs across 13 years. And she came to me and said, you know, Jennifer, we're you're running the company. We're selling the company. You're writing the book. You know, we were starting the strategic planning process, and this is in the middle of 22. And she said... I want to run the strategic planning process. And it was like this light bulb went off of like, of course you should run the strategic planning process. You've been watching me do it. I don't need to do it. I don't have to own it. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you something. She did it better than I have ever done it. And the output was incredible. And I was kind of questioning, like, well, why didn't I let go of that a lot sooner? I didn't have to do it for, you know, the last decade.
2: That's amazing. yeah. yeah. I- I've experienced that in, in my workspace at the university that's been so uplifting for me is to have my female colleagues support me and put me into positions to shine a light on things that I don't think I would have had the conf- confidence to do on my own. So I can attest to what you're talking about. And I have to say, I'm really looking forward to reading your book. It sounds absolutely incredible. And just I I love what we, we've been getting to hear from your experience in putting that together and from your life as well. But
1: Oh, well, thank you. Well, we've kind of danced around maybe three of the hurdles. There's the inner critic plus seven hurdles. And so we've, we've talked about the inner critic. We've talked about recognized confidence. Now we're talking about proving your value. So I won't, I won't, I won't spoil all of them, but I will say the, the, the three highest hurdles are proving your value. The second is clarity. Mm. When I ask a woman, do you know what you want? What does success look like a couple years into the future? Most women either haven't thought about it. They say they're too busy to do it, which is the kiss of death. Busyness (laughs) is not a virtue, right? So I also (laughs) say like, that's not a badge of badge of honor. Do not wear that. And then, um, so that's, or they say, I'm afraid to say it. Because if I put it out there in the world and it doesn't happen, isn't it worse than not declaring it at all? Mm-hmm. So th- that's what I tend to hear. So the, 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 the gift of clarity is it actually helps you overcome the rest of the hurdles. What do you say no to? How do you want to build your brand? How do you want to be recognized in that confidence? Clarity really helps with that. And then the third one is making the ask. Are you really asking for what you truly want? Or is it the watered down version of what you think you deserve or what you think you can get? So those are the three highest hurdles.
0: I love it. Jennifer, thank you so much. As Angela said, uh, I think this is going to be just such a great book to, to go through. And I'm really excited for that. I know the time, I think we could go on forever, but we need to let you go. You're a busy person uh, and you have other things you need to go on to before we wrap things up for today. I just wanted to give you a chance to share with the audience, how they can connect with you, find out more about your work, Uh, where they can find your book, and then give us a final word on the topic for
2: today.
1: Thank you. Please, please, please reach out to me on LinkedIn. It's Jennifer Shear McCollum, Linkage CEO. And you can get the book anywhere you get books, but the easiest place is on Amazon. In Her Own Voice, A Woman's Rise to CEO. A little, little promotional note, just this week, it won what's called the BookPal Owl Award, the outstanding work of literature in women and mm. business. So I was really <laughs> excited about that.
0: <laughs> Congratulations.
1: Thank you. I and I guess the the last thing I would say is that it, and I love how this conversation has has danced from what's happening out there externally, what can organizations do about it? But critically, what can we do in as individual women leaders or as men who support them? This, to change the face of leadership, it's going to take all of us.
0: Yeah, well said. Well, yeah. Jennifer, thank you so much. Angela, thank you. I encourage the audience to reach out, get connected, find out more about what Jennifer can do for you. Check out the book. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe. You can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the podcast. We hope you stay healthy and safe and please join us again soon.